Welcome everyone to episode 17 of the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. Thank you for joining your four hosts today, myself, Lawrence, DY, and DC. Now, before we get into the episode proper, I just wanted to give everyone a uh, public service announcement that it would mean a lot to all four of us if you could just take literally five seconds to head over to your listening app of choice, whether it's Spotify or whether it's Apple Podcasts and just leave us a five-star review. It means a, means a lot, really helps the podcast grow, get us into some different ears. At the moment, I think we have like, I think 60 to 65 ratings. So it'd be really awesome if when once this episode gets released in about a week that that number, what do we reckon guys? Like in the in the 80s and the 90s? Um, 100? 250, 300. Aim and high. We know they're out there. Yeah, we sure do. We see the numbers. (laughs) What we'll touch on today first up is uh, we'll do some bi-weekly recaps of our past week, just so there's a little bit more time or a little bit more to talk about. So Lawrence, I'll let you go first. Just give us a a quick recap and yeah, keen to hear how everything's been going. Mate, yeah, it uh, look, it's probably one of my more... not as much of a lively update because if I'm being completely honest, I'm probably not loving things at the moment. I think I'm just approaching that point in my year where I'm just getting it done, still hitting pretty good numbers, ticking all the boxes I need to tick, but that little bit of fire, that little bit of spark is just not quite there. Like if I'm being completely honest, training is feeling like a bit of a chore at the moment. Like I'm kind of going in there and going, okay, I need to get this done. And then once I get into the session, I'm good. And like, I'm still hitting some really good numbers and some PBs here and there, but I'm just not as hungry for it, which I think is pretty normal. Like it's been probably this time last year since I took a proper week off the gym and a bit of like an active rest phase where I just actually let myself just not be as much of a bodybuilder for a week. So that's going to be coming up shortly for me. Um, so it's coinciding with like a, a church camp that I'm going on, which I'm looking forward to. So I had a chat with Joe, just sort of explained everything. And yeah, it was almost since I got like sick over that weekend, a couple of weeks back, just hasn't quite felt right since then. And there's been some weird stuff, like kind of semi getting sick again, and then having to stay at my sister's because mom and dad had COVID. So and then like Gemma's been away as well. So the routine has been a bit whack and I'm still pleased with the progress that's been made. Like my pictures on the weekend to Joe, I thought were quite good, but I'm just in need of a week where I just deep, almost just Don't step body away build. a little bit. Yeah, just step away, which will then allow me to really put the foot down because, you know, there's there's not really any time to spare from here onwards, but I think I do need to take this week so that I can really put the hammer down and then start to make the most of the rest of this year from a gaining perspective and then set myself up well for a good prep so yeah that's going to be in a couple weeks time so um going up to the sunny coast for a week i won't train at all nutritionally it's basically just going to be make sure i'm not losing weight so i actually might do what you did overseas mate and just like take a body weight scale and just make sure it's not dropping because it is a week of like a lot of physical activities. So I'm just going to make sure I eat enough and make sure I eat protein, you know, five times a day. That's probably the most attention I'm going to give to the nutritional side and then come back the week after that, do a deload week. So it is actually like a legit active rest 
not just a week off and then the work will begin. Awesome. Yeah, I think for many listeners, they might even be reassured that uh, the the general muscle even has periods where he's not feeling the best. And also, I think after this, like we're heading into season B and no doubt after that, that's a really, really good way of getting the mojo back together. I find seeing all the competitors on stage. Yeah, 100%. And that's that's been the weird part. Like, it's not even that it's like, I, I'm still really keen for all that side of things. And like, I'm... I still, every time I think about next season or like my season next year, I'm so excited. It's just like right now, it just feels like it's, it's just gotten to that point where I'm not burnt out, but just a little bit overworked. Mm. And I think it has probably been a combination of just things not being in the places that I want them to be with my normal routine and stuff like that. But I also do think it is important to, you know, I think Alberto said it once on a podcast, you know, put in for a week's leave from bodybuilding once a year or something like that to make sure that you're not just, you know, constantly running the gauntlet because it is tiring, you know, it is a lot to take in. And even people who absolutely love what they do are always going to get a little bit of fatigue. And for some people might come, you know, maybe for the average person it comes once a month, but maybe for us, it comes once a year. Maybe for some people, it, you know, comes once every five years where they're getting a little bit burnt out. But I just think it's important to just recognize that, if a week of not going to the gym, but still eating sufficient protein, still being active in the grand scheme of things is going to have absolutely no bearing on your progress because it's not a game of, you know, months and weeks. It's a game of years and you just need mm. to remember that. So I think, you know, I'll put myself in the best physical and mental position possible if I do take this week. And that's kind of how I'm reassuring myself because even today, like I had a really good session. I was like, oh, maybe I don't need it. But um, if I, well, I knew, I knew out, you had a good session because you took a selfie afterwards. Mate, yeah, yeah. Rare scenes. I was actually just about to leave for golf and I was like, yeah, well, I'll, I'll have a look. And yeah, no, the arm was looking okay, but it was probably all lighting, let's be real. But no, it was good, mate. So I like, you know, it sort of lulls you back in. You're like, maybe I'll just keep pushing on. But if I zoom out at like the last month of training, I think, you know, I need to tell myself like, you need this. And, you know, also it'll be a good week away as well. Like, um, it'll be a good week to like challenge myself in other ways. Cause it's like a camp where like I'm going to be able and physically. Yeah, exactly. And like, I'm sort of like a leader um, for like young, young guys and that sort of thing. So it's going to be a, a week to grow in a different sense, which I think is important as well. Awesome. And whereabouts is the camp? Is it at like a proper campground or? Yeah. So it's in the sunny coast. Um, I can't recall the suburb. It's like Kuruba or something like that, but yeah, it's basically like a young men's camp. And I don't know, it's kind of like, I, I've never been before. I've had some friends that have gone and they said it's pretty, pretty intense and pretty cool. So like, you know, we go to like the Bly Bly water park, you do like mm, laser skirmish, tribal wars. So it's going to be a super physical week, which is also why I'm kind of like, you know, I maybe need to take up a, a bowl of cereal each day just to make sure I'm not dropping weight because I think the expenditure is going to be high. Bring some VPA mass gainer up there. Cheeky plug. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be staying far. Well, after I watch you choke that down at ICN, mate. No, thank you. Yeah. I yeah that's enough that. about me, mate. Go to yeah, one of the other lines. Let's, uh, let's segue on to DC. What have you got to say, mate? I just wanted to agree with you, mate, in, term, in terms of what you just mentioned, Lawrence, because I think just, just, just what you said, it, it resonates probably with myself and a lot of other listeners in regards to like, if you do something for long enough, it makes sense that there's going to be times where 
there's going to be dips, you know, in motivation and rises in motivation, but obviously it's the discipline that kind of carries you through those occasions where, you know, motivation is low and obviously the passion for, for the lifestyle in which you live. And that's probably diff the difference between someone who stays on track in relation to their goal versus someone who, you know, deviates off the path and loses that motivation and just stops going to the gym altogether for six months and then contacts a coach and goes, Oh shit, I haven't done anything for the last six months. I wasn't motivated. Obviously that, that, that passion sort of holds you in place, but I mean, moving on to me, I just started a new program block, which is exciting. It's actually quite similar to the last program block that I did run. So um, I don't really want to change up too many exercises based on just finding a nice groove with these particular movements. Uh, in terms of the nutrition front, oh, actually in training, it's been awesome to catch up with you, Jack. Seeing you there training, mate, at Brendale. It's always good to have a bit Likewise. of fun um, and obviously spot each other. But uh, nutrition... Nothing really overly exciting on this front. We're pretty much just holding nutrition in place. And I have actually started integrating some cardio at the end of my sessions again, because considering my hunger has just been at an all-time low, it's definitely helped for me to just ramp up that, that hunger sensitivity a little bit more, which has helped me definitely when it comes to then pushing in, pushing in the food. So, you know, if you think about it in, in relation to like, if I was to spend 20 minutes on step R or something along those lines, I'm really not burning that many calories in the grand scheme of things. But if it does help me to increase my, my energy intake, and I mean, how easy is it to increase your energy intake, let's say by 200 calories that you might burn on, on a stepper, that's, that's a, uh, a generous estimation, then you know, it's, it's worth it in the grand scheme of things to, to add in something like that. So it's more work for the glutes as well. The what? Yeah, <laughs> the glutes. The yeah. secret's out for that big wagon of DCs. That's it, man. I knew God. he was doing kickbacks on that Stairmaster. There's no other way. Shh, don't tell anyone, man. Jesus. Um, but no, other than that, nothing really too exciting on that front. Uh, we're sitting at what, like two weeks out until shows. So that's that's very exciting to start looking at developing everyone's peak week protocol. And I think once you start talking about peak week to a lot of athletes, you know, their their face kind of lightens up. It's like, oh yeah, game time is just around the corner. So that's really exciting from, from sort of the coaching standpoint, but that's kind of where I'm at. Nothing, nothing overly exciting to, uh, to add to the mix. Well, I thought it was exciting and thanks. I'm, <laughs> I'm also looking forward to the, the shows. And I think uh, three of us, like you, DYDC, you're both heading to Tropics. Yep. No, I'm actually not heading to Tropics. Okay. I've had a couple of my, my athletes decide that Queensland is going to be their first show. So mm -hmm. um, although we've got quite a few BK athletes there, um, we've sort of neither, neither B or I are actually going to Tropics. So we'll be doing all of our coaching online for that. Mm -hmm. um, I would love to go, but just something's come up in, in mm -hmm. my world where I can't necessarily make it. But um, yeah. Yeah, that's the okay. The reigning champ isn't going back up there to deliver the sword. What's happening? We'll have half oh. of the BDU crew there. Was that a was that a dig dy? Well, he won the last. Oh, oh, actually, no, oh, no. Oh, oh, shit! Oh, I thought he did too. Oh no! You're the one. Oh, oh my god! I'm, I well, feel so well, bad. Funny, I thought it was funny, actually funny him story. Too. Actually, no, I'm just I'm not going. <laughs> no. Oh, oh no, big, now big, now big, I feel big, bad. Big, I, I, legit, I legitimately thought he did win it too. Damn, I feel bad now. Do you remember bro. the story I told you boys off air <laughs> uh, episodes ago? Yeah, 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 I won't go into detail about that for the listeners, but. Yes, yeah, that's we'll move paid on. subscription content. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that's the paid subscription content, guys. So, yeah. <laughs> I did notice some dates aligning here, though, Jack. I don't know if you recognize it as well, where Lawrence's performance has started to go down in motivation ever since he did do that leg day with you. <laughs> Does that not align with you as well? I, I know so. he did take the hack squats, but I think it was multiple of these other little lifts that just wore him down, like the glute hypers, and now, now he's on a downward spiral. Mm. It's almost like, you know, when someone, you know, maybe an NBA player, they win the championship and then they're like, yeah, it, it, everything else is just There's nothing left. supplementary from here. You know, you beat Jack on the hack and you can't, I'm chasing the dragon now. Nothing can quite give me that sensation again. I could, I could understand if you beat me on the RDL, but I mean, <laughs> the hack, I mean, it's one of my, not my worst list, but it's, it's nothing too, too great to write home about. If there was to be a ha- uh, an RDL off, would we need to get a protractor out there for limited back bending? Like, you know, <laughs> we would we would? It would only be a certain amount of degrees because otherwise, you could just get real nasty out there. Well, the RDL off that would probably be more DC and Jack. What, what's your RDL at DC? Would you be cl- in the two hundreds? No, so I've never RDL two hundred before. The max the max reps for weight I've ever done was one seventy for twelve, I believe. So. Yeah, I can't quite uh, equate that for what, what I can oh, move yeah. for 200 because I think um, unless I actually pick up 200 and try and move it, it's a different story, right? You kind of speculate what, what you might might move. But Jack Rob probably has me on the RDL, that's for sure. Well, you've got me on anything upper body really. <laughs> anything pressing, I think you've got me. Jack v. Damo, that, that's, that's the battle. For me, everything's gone smooth though. Um, I had a catch up with Joe. I'm roughly gaining around about 1% of body weight a month, which is pretty much smack on exactly where I want. I think it's averaging about 200 grams a week. Um, we did some skin folds as well. Everything, every, we were pretty much the same body fat. Uh, you know, there could be a little bit of human error there as well, but which is great to know that scale weight's going up and body weight's not budging too much. Hopefully that equates to lean body mass, you know, not 100% source. Everything's going good there. Um, appetite has definitely uh, gone down. I'm normally quite a hungry fella, so I can just pack away food. But when you continually eat very large amounts of food every single day, I think it does wear on you a little bit. Um, and it definitely has started catching up with me. Definitely uh, getting a lot more liquid cows down. As for training, I'm pretty much in like week five of my current training program. I'll probably push out to week six or week seven. I'm not noticing any like performance drop-offs really just yet. So I'll try and get as many weeks out of this training program as possible before deloading. I do want to probably take the deload week on like the Brisbane show week. So then that way it all kind of lines up as well. So I maybe on that week, I might only train like three times a week. And then after that, when motivation's nice and high after the Brisbane show, I can then do up a new program and then start from there when the, I guess, workload is a little bit less than what it is at the moment. But as for now, I'm just continually digging i'm going to take the deload on that brisbane show week if all aligns and then i'll go from there but other than that training's good nutrition's good making progress everywhere so i'm a happy man yeah nice uh i resonate you with regarding the deload because i'm planning mine for next week when we have to head up to townsville so i'm extending my block by a week which i very 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 rarely do so seven weeks of training and i can feel that seventh week that's for sure like i having usually deloaded at this point in time but uh it'll be good to not miss too many sessions would you the whole deload thing like there's still people who i speak to 
who are, you know, like maybe they don't compete, but they're still like a slightly more invested gym rat than your average punter. And they still don't take deloads. But mm. I'm like, I just don't know how you can train to a sufficient, like to a good, like maybe what we would consider a good intensity and not feel absolutely battered after like what at most like eight or 10 weeks. And like, like, I mean, like, you know, DC, Jack, DY, imagine training for 10 weeks in a row at the same intensity. Like mm. you're literally well, going to fall apart. Yeah. Like I think it is a little bit different though, because for us, we try and get the absolute most out of training. Like we try and milk every drop. Like we push it pretty much to like, you know, our maximal recoverable volume, like all the time. Like that's the whole point of nearly our training blocks. We like kind of want to work it up and then we deload there. We're a lot of gen pop people that even might have physique goals, might not train as hard as us and as many times as us. Like, you know what, we probably all train here on average five times a week, two hours a day each session where a lot of people probably won't train that much. They won't train as hard and they might not train that many days as well. So the chance of them actually needing a deload is probably a lot less. I would almost say if you if you were someone who didn't follow like a program, so you didn't have like numbers to work off, and then secondly, you really auto regulated your training training uh, loads depending on how you felt on the day, mm. and you didn't have numbers to strive towards, you probably could get away with training a little bit more like intuitively. I mean, it's not even really the word I want to go for it, but it's like if you okay let's say for example you go into the gym you're not feeling quite well it's pretty easy to go into the gym and just have a cruisy session and leave that and have enough of those consecutively and that's your deload so so it's like regardless of i think them actually saying this is a deload that i do they probably structure it into their training unconsciously without without knowing anyway because there's been a time when i've trained in the past like in when i was in uni days and i was just kind of learning about exercise science and I wasn't really following a set structure with my training, but I can reflect back. And there were certainly weeks where I would reduce my session number. I would take a set off. I would reduce my load. And at the time I didn't say I was deloading. That's just me training, but I was certainly auto-regulating my training in a manner that reflected a deload. Yeah, I would agree. I think some people also miss sessions. And I mean, even if you miss a session every second or third week, that's like if you train five or four days a week, that's now three or four rest days in one week. So, but I definitely know what you mean, Lawrence. Like I, I mean, my client, Scott, he, everyone knows Scott. Um, he, he had some controversial words to say about our, our last episode. Just we're not the proper bro chat, but hey, he's the number one physique athlete in Quilby. So put some that's respect right. on his name. The, yeah. Number one, soon to be number one bodybuilder in Quilby, but yeah, he, he very, very rarely takes deloads. I think the only time he deloads, um, and I'm cool with it as his coach, is uh, is when he goes on holiday and he trains like an animal. So there are just some people who seem to be able to get away with that. Yeah, no. Oh, I, that's actually very interesting. I didn't know that Scott didn't take them. And having trained with Scott, I can confirm that he does train very hard. But yeah, I mean maybe like it's sort of just one of those genetic things. Like some people just naturally can recover better than others just like someone may have very good recovery for a certain body part you know like maybe there's someone who could hit quads three or four times a week whereas others may only be able to hit it once so i guess you can maybe just chalk that up to his whole body just can recover better mm. than most yeah how was your uh, last couple of weeks though, mate? and tell us about the conference how did that all go and um why is helms not on the call with us right now <laughs> 
Well, yeah, the conference went really well. And I think uh, maybe I just wanted to save that invite for a different podcast as opposed to this one, maybe. <laughs> but no, it was really good to meet uh, Mr. Helms. I think having looked up to him for... Dr. Helms. Dr. Helms, that's very true. And hopefully he doesn't listen to that bit. And you just lost him. You just lost <laughs> him on the podcast, man. Good, good on you. Uh, yeah, it was it was cool to meet him and the other speakers as well, Danny Lennon and Alan Flanagan, and and then uh, Tara and I presented with um, Joey Brandon and a couple of others at the, the Sunday uh, physique seminar. So yeah, that that it all went well. I think you can even look at the or watch the full physique seminar on YouTube by the Sports Nutrition. Uh, association youtube i believe i might be wrong in saying that but definitely some really good content put out there a lot of what we cover in these podcasts podcast was discussed and uh, eric's lecture in particular about like post-show recovery strategies kind of resonates a lot with what we talk about on here about just being fairly aggressive post-show to an extent ensuring that you do put on fat after the show to an extent to, to actually recover physiologically and mentally. And yeah, he's just a, a superb public speaker. But other than that, my week's been pretty standard, as I said, in the seventh week of my block, just kind of still progressing, which is good, but noticing the fatigue and uh, making some, some changes to the training. Like I didn't really want to do three weeks back to back of, of RDLing, like trying to progress above 200. So I, uh, I've been incorporating some pause RDLs kind of as like an auto-regulated week every now and then just to reduce the loads, um, but also kind of work on that weakest chain in the link with the RDL, which is that change in direction. Um, so going down and, and coming back up, which has been working well. Yeah, let's, uh, we'll head into some questions. And this first question is an interesting one. It says, have you ever cried during prep? Lawrence, I'll let you kick this off again. Yes, it's a yes for me. And oh, well, I don't, prep's weird, man. Like, I, I guess you can kind of, I mean, I'm sure we all have had those days, like being in prep or not, where it just seems like things are stacked against you. One thing goes wrong, another thing goes wrong. And then, you know, you get to 3 p.m., something else happens, and it's like that final straw that broke the camel's back. And you just are like, this is too much. And you just have one of those little pity cries and you're just like, oh, it's all a bit too much for me. Whereas like the runway to get to that point in prep is shorter. Mm. And whilst I think that if you're, you know, in tears and, you know, having a proper breakdown every week from like 10 weeks out, that's probably not ideal in the sense that like, maybe that's when you need to kind of look and think, is prep really the best thing for me at this point in my life and my mental health? But yeah, sure. I think that at least once a prep, I'll, I'll have one of those days where it all comes to a head and I'm just like, nah, this is all too much. I think I can recall one. I don't know if it was in 2018 or 2020 where I was like in the car, like driving back from somewhere. And I just remember being like, fire out. This is so hard. And it all just kind of got the better of me for a bit. Um, but you know, if you have a good season, there can also be some happy tears. There were a few of those in 2020. So those are good. Um, but some of the sad tears as well. Mm. I like how you related that to happy tears as well, because I personally didn't actually think of that. <laughs> and 
yeah, I think you raised a good point as well about in prep, the runway shorter because there's a lot of other stuff going on because I guess it could be an event that might've made you cry whether prep was on regardless. So yeah. yeah. Did you, um, cause like, I know that at the INBA show, like when I won the overall, like I sort of on stage, like got very emotional when Joey started walking to me, he got very emotional. And then like, after it all calmed down, I went out to see my family. Like I pretty much just lost it. And then, you know, like the Queensland show, like getting the sword was, was kind of like that as well. Um, but I mean, what about you? Like, did you, like when you won your overalls, did you have a little tear in the eye? Cause I don't, you don't strike me as that sort of character, but there must be something that pulls at those heartstrings. Yeah. I think I'm a bit more emotional than you guys probably think, but my outside persona doesn't really portray that. And no, I didn't really shed a tear. Uh, I can see myself doing it in the future, but not not for an overall at Queensland's maybe maybe uh for a pro card who knows but depends on the circumstance as well like depends on the events leading up to it like I'm sure if it's like a redemption there's probably a bit more emotion in that compared to like a your first show of the season I'm, I'm not sure but uh I guess I'll I'll answer this question as well like no I haven't I'm I'm not really the crying not to designate people as crying types or not, but it's just not something that it's not my way of expressing sadness or frustration. I think for me, it's more so like physical frustration. Like I, I really find training as my outlet for that. Um, and music, but not really crying. That's just me. Like nothing, obviously nothing's wrong with crying, but what about you DC? So I didn't have any crying moments in prep like associated with the difficulty of prep like with, within the weeks leading, leading into the actual shows. I definitely had occasions where it was just like, this sucks and I'm close to a breaking point and having to reach out to B and be like, hey man, I need some, I need to come up for air just for a split second so that I can go back down and do, and do what I need to do. And then we implemented a little bit of a diet break at that point. But not to the point where I, I cried. And that's not to say that there's anything wrong with expressing your emotions through that, by the way. I have no, no issues with that. Um, I, did, I did have a bit of an emotional moment after the Tropic show, actually. And it was actually because it represented my first time getting on stage after having a failed prep in 2020 because of, um, of COVID. So the fact that I had made it to the stage was just like enough for me. And I just had a bit of a breakdown moment as I was sitting outside with Nicole and I was just like, shit, like I actually made it on stage. Like, this is just, this is what I've been looking forward to for the past, you know, three, four or so years. So to actualize that was, was really important for me. And then when I, when I um, won the Queensland show, then, then I had some happy tears at that moment as well, which it was just all bottled up based on the fact that, I had actually successfully carried out a season and a prep without it being canceled due to COVID. And um, yeah. And I think within that, within the prep itself, there were occasions where like gyms were shutting down and there were still things up in the air in relation to whether that season was going ahead. So COVID was definitely still a lingering factor within that prep. And um, obviously the show for nationals was canceled, et cetera. There was no you know state travel. So there was still things up in the air. So I think just getting on stage, Doing the Tropic show, doing the Queensland show, that was an emotional outlet for me in terms of um, the stage. Mm. 
for sure. I think that's a good example. Um, better than me winning a, a state show is like having your season canceled and then being able to do it. And then also placing second at tropics to winning at Queensland, the pro show. That's, that's awesome. Mm. DY. Bail me out here. Uh, yeah. Lawrence, Lawrence, Lawrence. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> so my last prep, there was pretty much no crying at all. Like it was just, I don't know. I just like kind of disconnected my emotions, but have I cried? Yes. It was in my second prep when me and Lani were both prepping and it just took like such a toll on like our relationship, especially like at the back end when you are both like 25 weeks deep in a prep. Uh, it definitely took its toll. I think it was one breaking point. But other than that, normally I'm quite an emotionless person, especially in prep. It's like, you know, I just try and disconnect everything. So it's like, if something happens, it's like, oh, whatever, I'll deal with it. It's, but short answer is yes, Lawrence. So you are saved. There was one time in a prep right at the back end where there was a little bit of breaking i think sorry, point- sorry guys we've just got a super mus- masculine dude over here doesn't, doesn't- <laughs> <laughs> nah. but i think like the point you made jack is probably the i guess the differentiator because like you said like your way of expressing emotions is not necessarily like you know through getting teary-eyed it's more mm. like frustration and you have like an outlet for that whereas like i know that myself like I'm just a very emotional person, like, and it's probably it's to probably to a detriment sometimes because, like, you have times where you can ride highs really high, but then it also makes you susceptible to ride the lows maybe a bit lower than other people. Like, even for like you know silly things like you know how likely you are to like cry in a movie or cry. Mm. Like for me, like I'm one of those people who was like me and my sister are the exact same. You like cry in movies and TV shows for fun, so. Like for me, that's just kind of always how that emotion gets channeled. And yeah, I think in prep, it's it's just you become some sort of like a, a sensitive being, like your whole body stress is just like dialed up. So yeah, the like we said before, the the runway of how far you would need to get down it is like halved in prep. For sure. So yeah, we're not I watching could, the notebook in prep. I can imagine you in prep crying at the scene where Anakin walks into the Jedi temple and does something horrendous. <laughs> I have failed you, Anakin. Yeah. I have failed you. On, actually, on the, on that note, a massive segue. But I actually watched the Obi One series, and oh my boy, I'm <laughs> proud. What do you think? Well, this is the controver- controversial bit. Like I, I thought it was like a decent series overall, and like I'm not a massive Star Wars fan. Like I've seen the movies and stuff, and I've seen um, the Mandalorian. I just thought it was very, very tame, in in my opinion. Like tame is in g g rated like the themes mm. like non-existent adult themes like for like six-year-olds yeah. basically yeah I, look i think overall like i probably obi-wan was probably like a seven for me mm-hmm. because like the opening episode is great and then it just kind of tapered down and then it really rested on the last two like let's be mm. honest like the last two episodes are pretty incredible but i think you are right and i think that's where like i think the the marvel and the star wars stuff in particular like you got to remember like you're maturing with you need to mature with the audience kind of like harry potter did mm. um or like stranger things i haven't watched it but i've heard this where it's like it gets a bit darker it gets a bit grittier and i think those are what people are responding well to like man some- i think logan is a good example Sheep on marvel bro i didn't even bother watching i that. watched the first episode and it was one of the worst 
television show episodes mm-hmm. I've ever seen. It, I honestly, it was like it was satire, like it mm-hmm. was so poorly done that I was like, they have to be trying to do this badly. It was so bad, I couldn't believe it. Didn't they get I, Mark Ruffalo in for that though? Like, and the, he was awful as well, mate. Marvel. I don't know, like, and I love Mark Ruffalo. Like, it was so bad. Um, I'm glad you watched Obi Wan, but no, I am in agreement with you. It was good, and I loved it for like the the fan service and some of the of Easter eggs. Yeah. But it wasn't probably quite what I hoped. Mm. Yeah, I'd like, I'd love, I'd love to see a like a darker themed Star Wars mm. movie, similar to like yeah, Logan. like a Vader mm. or like like the um like to me, Star Wars needs what Joker with Joaquin Phoenix was mm. to the DC, where it is like an MA15 like adult themes, proper dark, proper gritty. Like we need like a Vader or like a Palpatine story like that. That'd be unbelievable. Mm. I agree for sure. So this next question relates to posing kind of like actually these next two questions do kind of like the differentiation between uh, Australia and the US for sorry, Australia and the UK for certain types of posing. Like I'm sure you guys have seen certain bodybuilders from the UK, like when they do a front light spread, they'll pull up their trunks and really push them in when they do a light spread. Um, Like, I guess the question is, what are your thoughts about that? And also like tucking the glutes in the rear double versus not tucking them. Uh, DC, I'll let you start with this one. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess you've always going to, you've always going to get some sort of influence in regards to the, the, the top tier bodybuilders within your country and maybe how they pose is going to translate to how you're going to pose. Cause you might look up to them, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I don't, I haven't really seen anyone pull up their trunks and hit a lat spread here in Australia. So there is obviously a differentiation to some degree in regards to how we pose. Um, I think at the end of the day, you have to just give it your flair. So I see, I see them doing it over there and I've never thought, oh, that's a weird way of posing or that's a strange way of um, portraying your physique because at the end of the day, like if that improves your stage showing, the judges love that, that's how you, f- you strike your front profile shot, then, you know, fantastic. I don't see any issue. Um, I, I think in regards to the, the tucking of the hips, like the, the posterior you know, pelvic tilt or the anterior pelvic tilt, in, um, in your back double bicep or your back lat spread. I think if you don't posteriorly tuck your pelvis, you won't get the same contractility of that glute tissue than if you were to really uh, like anterior tilt the pelvis and kind of like almost, yeah. I, I mean, you look at someone like Kefi and he, he poses himself like that with his hips anteriorly tilted. He gets a really nice back positioning with that, but it doesn't bring out those finer glute lines. And you know, I think everything's going to be a trade-off at the end of the day. So, I mean, if he wants to portray his back in a stronger position, perhaps that is a more viable pose. But at the same token, you take away from the the shortening of the of the of the glute tissue and really the the accentuated lines because you can sort of see like the outer lines from from his from the side, which is usually where it comes out the most. Like you sort of your your glute lines come more so like. Uh, posteriorly laterally laterally and uh, sort of makes its way up to the top and i guess more medially but for me like when, when i when i get up on stage i want to show my glute my glute lines as best as possible right so yeah look to each their own but i would personally i would personally have that posterior pelvic tuck mm. what do you guys think yeah i've 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 got a decent amount to say on this just because like one i have aj as a coach um who's from the UK, not that he's really told me how to pose. 
Um, he's only kind of given me slight adjustments, but he's never told me to like tuck the trunks up. He's never told me to um, or not to tuck the pelvis. But I do have, definitely have some, I've been playing around probably in the last six months. And I've spoken to Lawrence very briefly about this, about like the best way to show off your hammies from the rear and and the adductors as well. And I've I found that if you fully tuck your glutes, it's actually really hard to show hammy thickness from the back. Um, it kind of just creates a big gap um, in in the middle of your legs. Kind of it, the analogy would be in a in a front most muscular or a front lat spread, you wouldn't want to have a massive thigh gap in your front pose. And that's why we kind of some some people have to stand with their feet a bit closer together. Um, and like I'm kind of of the same opinion of of the rear shot. Like there's going to be a bit more of a gap in between your legs. Um, but I personally have been playing around with um, like slightly going into anterior pelvic tilt and then squeezing the glutes after that. And then I find that that pops the um, adductors and the hammies much more. And obviously it's going to be a different story in prep, whether I can still achieve the same lines in my glutes while having slight anterior pelvic tilt, um, which I'm interested to see because I think it looks way better in the, way better in the off season. I'm hoping that it correlates to a better look in prep as well. Yeah. Absolutely. It's almost like when you, let's say, for example, you're striking a side tricep or a side chest, like in the off season, you might stand relatively upright in that position because you can't really assess how low you need to sit in order to make your hamstrings pop more like in the bottom position. So it's not until you're actually lean where you can start playing around with your posing and adjust it in favor of what's going to showcase your best physique, your largest physique, your most striated physique, you know, et cetera. So I almost find through the process of posing in the contest prep, it almost slightly changes from the start or it does change a lot from the start to the end, because it's like how I originally started posing. It looks different now. I can actually rotate more, et cetera. Um, so little things like that, but yeah, interesting. I mean, I guess next time I jump on stage, I might play around with, with pelvic positioning, but, I think there's also a big difference at the, in the Brendale posing room. Yeah, 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 exactly. I think there's also a big difference between like a posterior pelvic tuck versus like I'm trying for end range posterior <laughs> pelvic tuck. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think there's a big difference there. So like when I'm saying posteriorly pelt, you know, tilt, tilt the pelvis, it's just to be able to switch the glutes on enough, mm. not so that I'm fully hunchbacking to try and like- You don't get... want too much lower back flexion. Yeah, 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 exactly right. You might injure yourself, eh? The amount of discs that get herniated <laughs> on stage is unbelievable. On that though, Jack, and like, I agree, I've been playing it with around with it in my check-ins as well. And I think my rear double and rear lat look better. Once again, this is an off-season physique, but I actually find it's also has a really big impact on like your spinal erectors, mm. which I think obviously from an anatomical perspective makes sense. And if you can kind of, you know, keep that part of the pelvis a little bit, you know, closer, it can almost add a little bit of thickness down in the lower back. I think the question as well that you're going to need to ask yourself, and obviously the, the theme of all three of our answers is like, it depends and it's going to depend on the individual because say that you are a bigger bodybuilder, maybe for that season, you're not going to be able to get into like gnarly conditioning. If the lines aren't really going to be that profound anyway, well then, you know, there's no point tucking and not really seen anything so in that case you know anteriorly tilt get big glutes out there maybe round out your lower back and your rear shots a bit more but if you are like on the smaller side and your conditioning is going to be a calling card then you want to show as much as you can 
So I think it's up to you and your coach as well to sort of figure out like, okay, sort of anatomy and, and whatever aside, just put the shots together and put the shots side by side and decide who wins that rear double. If it's the one with the glutes tucked, go with that one. If not, vice versa. Mm. But yeah, I, I think it is going to be interesting. Like once, you know, once we're all next time lean and playing around with these things, like how much detail you can get in the glute just by squeezing them in that anteriorly rotated position because like it can't be as much detail because we're not shortening the glute as much as it could but i think it could still be enough because like if you can imagine it where you're about to hit that rear shot you're pulling the christmas tree maybe at that point you really flex the glutes tuck them all the way in give the judges a look at the conditioning and then go into the shot like, well, this is where, I don't know, it'd be good to talk to a judge. Like, are they considering what they've seen in the transition mm-hmm. when they're looking at your conditioning or are they just looking at the final end product when you hit the pose? So um, I know we were talking earlier this week about getting a judge on, but it'd be interesting to ask them that because that would be a kind of a way to satisfy both uh, debates. Mm. You'd also want to strike it for long enough so that the judges can actually take a look at you too because yeah, that's true. I guess the worst thing is that you've, you've also got like, you could potentially have 10 people up on stage, right? And if you just show your glute striations within that split second and all the judges are looking at another competitor and then you strike your pose, they haven't seen any glute lines and then they may not mark you favorably in that Mm. sense. So it's, yeah. I think it it would be a pretty easy transition though to like go into anterior and then tuck them or even maybe do anterior for the rear double and then tuck them for the rear lap. Um, the only danger I can see with ICN is like, if you're the only bodybuilder on stage doing a slight anterior tilt, that's, you're going to be the odd one out because everyone in ICN tucks the glutes as like, as not as hard as they can, but they, they tuck them pretty hard. Um, and I can't see that being too favorable. I do see ICN likes to favor that conditioning and like them glute lines quite highly, especially like in that conditioning sense. But I was just about to say, you could even do one maybe where you do the back double and then you might be like, you could play around with one hip tilt there. And then maybe for the back lat spread, you might play around with the other one. So that way you kind of give them best of both. Like you do get that adductor thickness with one pose, but then yet you still do keep the lines for the other one. You know, there's one guy that pulls it off quite well. Um, His Instagram handle is like fueled by Scott Oaks. He's Mm. the WMBF president. He normally does like, you know, that tilt like you were talking about. And it looks really good on him. Um, And it works for his physique. And he's he's got a phenomenal physique. But I guess it just depends what displays your physique the best. But then that being said as well, like the federations, like WMBF probably has completely different standards over there than what ICN does here. So you obviously got to maybe check with some of the judges, see what they think, and then go from there. I believe it's the, is it the BNBF that yeah. don't like the tuck? In I, I believe okay. so, yeah. Yeah, because like, well, I don't know, like maybe it's tough to say with someone like Keefe because like maybe he's not even, I mean, to us, it looks really dramatic, but his glutes are also just like enormous. So like, I wonder if he's not even like, maybe he is trying to sort of find that mid range just because he's got that much tissue. Um, but I have seen like just pictures that he's put up throughout prep with like the fully flexed glutes just to kind of highlight his conditioning. And like, they look pretty ridiculous like that as well. So mm-hmm. when you're Keefe West, you can probably just do whatever you want. It's an automatic win for him. 
but uh, I would like to see a recent photo of him fully tucking for sure. Um, but yeah, I'll uh, maybe I'll even send you guys a, a photo um, maybe before the next episode and we can discuss it further. I'd be keen to see your check-in photos with the slight anterior tilt because it. I'm not going to lie, it took me a while to get comfortable with that. It's very awkward because you have to slightly anteriorly tilt and then flex the glutes, squeeze the hammies and then focus on the upper body. So it's a bit of a... Said it's quite a probably the most technical pose for me. But this next question says, view on water manipulation before a show. So a bit on the Vega side, but I think it's a, a good topic to discuss, especially heading into peak week. DY, I'll let you kick this off. I wouldn't muck around with it too much. I have seen some serious water manipula manipulation where they start from like one of my clients came to me and their previous coach had him on like 10 liters. And then it took him down to pretty much no water at all for two days prior. So it was like, it was like a huge water manipulation over the week. And it was just the most awful thing they've ever experienced. And it was probably the worst look they've ever experienced. Um, you got to remember that such a large percentage of your muscle is water. So definitely make sure you stay hydrated. You're getting enough water in there. And if you're already looking good, don't muck around with it too much. Don't go adding in too much excess and then don't go pulling too much. Like I wouldn't go anything probably under like two to three liters a day. Um, just keep it consistent with what you've been doing. If it's been working for you and you're hydrated, then you're probably going to bring a very good look to stage. Only thing is I would say is on stage day, if you're going to go on stage, probably within about the hour prior to going on stage, just be a little bit careful with the amount of water that you are drinking because as you get more nervous, you're going to want to pee. And the last thing you want to be doing is in between every div you're stepping on stage is you just need to pee. So maybe limit the water a touch right before you go on stage. But other than that, keep it consistent with what you've been having. Stay hydrated and don't get dehydrated. I, know, I think another consideration is like gastrointestinal volume before you get on stage as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you're absolutely chugging down the water before you jump on stage, then your ability to vacuum for the classic guys, or perhaps just have that really nice abdominal tapering will be more challenging to, to hold, but exactly what you said, Dan, like at the end of the day, musculature is, is made up from a vast percentage of, of water. So why would you, why would you want to, stop your your muscle tissue from being hydrated so I, I think the premise is that you're really just wanting to look for you hydration like just hydrated enough for uh obviously overall health but obviously as a means to promote um a good pump when it comes to stage time so i think when the, the the premise of water manipulation is just to make sure that you're hydrated but not be excessive with it yeah i think as as naturals we're always bound by our bodies physiology unlike enhanced individuals and i guess the goal is theoretically more so for enhanced people because they can play around with diuretics if they choose to um is to like maximize intracellular volume and uh, reduce extracellular water but as you guys alluded to like where we can't really take anything to to do that um beyond our body's own physiology so i completely agree with what you guys said and you hear a lot of people say, oh, I, I, uh, I didn't drink any water the day before show, or I'm not allowed to have any salt today. And uh, it's, it's, I, I feel for those people because they're, they're compromising their look, I think. One thing that like, obviously like people who are outside of bodybuilding, like who know I do bodybuilding, I always get asked about like water. I don't like, it's the number one question that comes up like, oh, like, 
like before the show, you like don't drink any water, right? And I'm like, that must be just like some <laughs> common knowledge like out in the world. Because even people who like, you know, don't take much interest, they always ask about the water. Mm. I think with the premise that, that like if you cut your water out, you present a drier physique, you know, but I think presenting a dry physique often just comes down to your conditioning, to be honest. Like if you're holding a bit more body fat, then, then those finer lines will be faded out to a degree. And getting on stage is really that, that axis between like tightness and fullness. So in, in some cases, I think water does have a role in terms of affecting, uh, affecting tightness. But I think manipulating water to extremes is, is ridiculous. I just, I don't think you should, you should do it outside of just wanting to be hydrated. Mm. Have any of you guys either for yourselves or clients like used any sort of like natural diuretic? Cause I know there was a year where AJ um, used one. He's like oh, dandelion root extract mm. or something like that. And he, you know, he said it was it made, it, made it look worse, which after like you know all that what you guys have discussed about like you know muscle hydration and stuff it's the use of a diuretic is is very counterintuitive um but i was just have either of you guys had any of you guys had experience with that no 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 i haven't i think if you're looking amazing already don't many don't make too many drastic changes especially in like that week leading up like if you're already looking amazing you're already you hydrated keep it the exact same but no i haven't but i did see when he was on that and um yeah, he did present a little bit more watery. I don't know if it might have been a little bit more stress on the body or anything. Yeah. Drink the asparagus, folks. <laughs> I think this is where like the the prep, the peak week protocol starts to get really convoluted with a lot of individuals because it's almost like, what are these variables that I can throw into the mix that is going to accentuate my look? And I would almost say, well, these variables that you're about to throw into the mix, have you been doing these for the weeks preceding? And for the most part, it's like, no, I haven't really been manipulating my water or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, well, in peak week where it's about optimizing your look, how are you going to, how do you know you, how you're going to respond favorably to any of these things you're about to do? So, you know, and as natural athletes, there's less that we can manipulate in that sense to, to showcase our best look. So, mm. I mean, if it was in my corner, I want to, I want to present a hydrated and, and healthy looking physique. <laughs> so I'm going to yeah. keep that water in. Absolutely. Great. So I think we'll uh, end on this question because I think uh, there might be a decent amount to talk about, but have there been any, any experiences in you guys where like you've had some GI distress or like bloating or any IBS symptoms from like eating certain carbs or eating a lot of carbs or have you, has it always usually been like an appetite issue at the upper limit of food intake? Mm, uh, I think it's always been appetite to be fair, like I can't recall like ever being like massively bloated or anything like that. Cause I think I've always been quite good at just choosing foods that are pretty well digesting for me. And yeah, oh, like I mean, incidents I'm, with the Haribos. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, if they were full sugar Haribos, I would have been okay, but no, that wasn't the case. Um, no, like not really. I think it's always just been appetite and well, even this morning, like I had to, um, I'm having to start fruit the loop because the, the carbs are very high and the cocoa pops was just starting to get a bit sickly. That's how many, good, actually, how many, how many serves of fruit are in a bowl of fruit loops, Jack? You know, zero. 
but um, no, I just think as well, like, you know, just you will be able to run like a little, you know, experiment on yourselves. Like this week, I'm going to eat these foods. Like, how do I feel? Um, obviously, I'm sure, Jack, you could speak to other ways of monitoring it, like bowel movements and, and bowel consistency and whatnot, which I'm sure we'd all love to talk about. But I think just keeping it simple and sticking to stuff that you know works. Like, I mean, as long as you're spreading your, you know, food variability to a certain extent, like, is it an issue if you have rice like three times a day? Probably not. As long as at least at a couple of those meals, you're at least hitting your fruit and your veg and your grains and stuff like that. But um, yeah, no, not, not too much for me. It's always just really been appetite. Mm. What about DY? Yeah, same for me. I really haven't had too many issues, but that being said, I haven't had to get to like astronomical amounts of carbs. Like, you know, Lawrence might've been here on probably like 800 plus grams of carbs. I remember hearing about once, which I haven't had the pleasure of hitting just yet, but it would be extremely painful. But I, I haven't had any issues. I normally like space my meals out. I normally have five to six meals and then evenly distribute them and then pick carbohydrate sources that work for me like i don't go and try and eat anything like when i'm in the off season i don't go eating like one kilo of spud light to get 100 carbs like you know i pick foods that are quite easily calorie dense and then just leave it like that Mm. maybe maybe if you got really high up on carbs you might be able to use like um different pathways of carbohydrate absorption. Maybe like you might be able to use some like fructose in there as well. Maybe have some fruit juice alongside some rice and that way it can absorb a little bit quicker. But other than mm. that, I don't think you should really worry about it too much. Did any of you guys listen to the the podcast that Fuad did with Callum Raystrick? No, I didn't know. Yeah, well, he was talking about like Mark Hector, that UK guy and his off season, he's eating like a thousand grams of carbs a day. Jesus like that's I, mean, I think he said that they had mark up to 150 grams in his intra damn <laughs> like oh, you're drinking paste by that point like man that's wild i've even seen some coaches in australia doing like enhanced guys i think he had like someone on like 1.2 thousand carbs and then like 60 or 70 fats which would just be astronomically hard to get in well it was done by a good coach so obviously they most likely know what they're doing but i was like holy god that would be extremely painful to get in i often like look at this question around around the issue around like gastrointestinal issues with carbohydrates and i think more so i wonder if it's attributed to certain fibers that, that perhaps the person doesn't process or perhaps the ratio of like soluble to insoluble to fermentable type fibers um, I mean, if I guess if you're consuming vast amount of polyols, such as, you know, what Lawrence had a while back, uh, you can definitely have some issues associated with that if you're a little bit more intolerant to that, to that and its, and its amounts. But yes, I think if you're eating a relatively low residue diet, I feel like you're, you're limiting your ability to, to get this sort of gastrointestinal distress. So, I mean, as a, as a dietitian, you can probably speak on this, Jack, but you would probably want to do some sort of dietary recall. And given if that you track through MyFitnessPal, potentially, you probably already got that recall there. So you could probably look back through your days and almost be able to, to take down a bit of a symptom log. So I have these foods, this is how I feel. I have these foods, this is how I feel. And somewhat be able to attribute the certain foods that cause discomfort. And then like you said, Lawrence, you have the ability to sub things in and out as well. So it's almost like this, self-trial and error to figure out what things do or do not agree with you. Mm. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd agree totally. And there are like, the reason I asked the question is because it's, it is fairly common for people to say, oh, I get GI issues with this food. Like I get GI issues with dairy because of the lactose in it, or I can't eat foods with gluten in it, et cetera. Um, and I know we got a question a while back about uh, one of the listeners who struggles to eat enough carbs because they had some GI distress after having too many. And I think a lot of the time, it's lifestyle related. Uh, so it could be maybe poor, poor habits with using the bathroom. There are certain people who like will have the urge to go and will just ignore that urge, which is really bad for your gut and for your regularity when using the bathroom. It could also be stress as well, which is a huge one that influences IBS, which is uh, irritable bowel syndrome. And I think the other one too is like uh, a sensitivity to certain FODMAP containing foods. So like I think everyone has at least heard of that term FODMAP. It gets thrown around a lot, but essentially like it's it's a, an, an acronym for like fermentable oligodimonosaccharides and polyols, which is essentially like the Haribo sugar alcohols would be an example of a, of a polyol. But the other, if, even if you just Google FODMAP containing foods, it'll give you a good list of some of the more popular ones like garlic and onion are, are high in FOD, certain FODMAPs. But as you alluded to DC, like it's, it's more about seeing the right professional and whether that be a gastroenterologist and a dietitian and kind of picking out what foods are causing those issues. Um, but also kind of realizing that it can be lifestyle related as well, because not everyone has sensitivity to, to FODMAP containing food. So, um, and I think a huge, huge point as well, which comes up very often is sometimes people misinterpret the sensation of feeling full for bloating or like there, there needs to be an issue. But if you've just eaten a big ass meal, then it's kind of normal to feel full and a little bit bloated afterwards. Yeah, I think that that hits, hits the nail on the head. Hey, eh? I think a lot of people can't differentiate between the two. You have a really large meal. Oh, I'm so bloated. I've just had a reaction to this food. No, nah, man, you've just got food in your stomach. There's going to be some distension there. <laughs> this mm. is normal. So yes, I think, I think being able to differentiate the two is obviously incredibly important. Mm. I didn't you know, know that, Jack. So you should not, like, if you need to go to the toilet, you should not try hold it in. No, definitely not. Like what? Like what are we? Are we talking like, you know, I'm, say any any sort of any sort of desire to use the bathroom for number two, just just go. Like, so what if you're like, we've got one more shop to go to, and it's a ten minute drive home. Like, well, the, is it worth just waiting? Like, is it that close of a time frame? Why well, I, I can't speak for everyone, and I don't want to get too dirty with it, but the way I see it is often people have their own schedules and I would find it a little bit odd in itself that like you would need to go at uh, like a fairly random time as in the shops. Um, and I'd also find that once you've missed your opportunity, you do have that golden opportunity for using the toilet. And once you miss it, then it's unlikely to come back. Unfortunately, maybe it does for you. Maybe you're a special someone. Cause Lawrence has been holding it in for an hour now. Like he, he's, he's, he's clogged up and he's wondering if he's going to die. I can or not. see his face is going yellow. It's all yeah. over. He's sweating like a pig. No, that's actually really interesting. I, um, mm. and look, I, cause yeah, like you said, normally people will it, like, if they're pretty regular, it'll coincide like when they're at home generally. Yeah. Um, but that's really interesting. Yeah. Is it the same for like urine? No, Which is obviously not. less of a convenience. No, oh, sorry, less of an inconvenience because you can just pee everywhere. But 
no, it's different. Well, I like to use the urinal, so. I'll, I'll <laughs> well, no, you know what I mean? Like, not everywhere, but most. <laughs> At least in store. a bathroom, please, people. Yeah. Uh, no, it's different for urine, of course. Um, and But I typically like my my rule of thumb if we if if myself and a client gets on the topic of of this then i'll say just allow yourself like some some time in the morning to set up a routine so for me wake up make myself a black coffee and then the magic happens essentially often people will like focus too much on get it going about their day i guess i have the luxury of of not having to go to a 9am job um, and wake up for that but i i have a bit more time at my disposal but yeah just let the magic happen at that time of the morning don't 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 rush it um because yeah you're especially a lot of the listeners of this podcast are probably like early 20s like imagine 50 years from now but you want to you want to preserve that that stuff because it's um it's it's not quite the same as like having a supplement or replacing some receding hairline um it's it's a bit more difficult than that Talk about all the uh, all the hot topics here at the uh, the BDU podcast. I reckon Jack's Jack's new house would be an absolute hot box. Fucking black coffee running through it and whatever else. Two dogs. <laughs> Two dogs. <laughs> Dog beach right out the front. Yeah. Poor T. <laughs> so yeah, that pretty much wraps up this episode. We'll uh, see you guys next week for episode number eighteen. And uh, make sure to keep an eye out for the BDU question polls as well. We'll post them up every week, usually on a Sunday or Monday. And yeah, without further ado, we'll see you guys next week.